Bibles now to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read a bunch of text and then get through as much as we possibly can with the time remaining. So open up to verse 5. Ah, And as we get into Luke 1, verse 5, I remind you that Luke the historian, Luke the scholar, Luke the lover of Jesus, Luke the lover of others, Luke whose name means bright one, Luke who wanted the whole world to know about Jesus goes to great lengths to write down and record who Jesus was and what Jesus did because the gospel is the one thing that changes all things every single time you apply it to your life. And so as we study this out, as we remind ourselves what we're looking at here, may you also be encouraged because this is our time. This is all you get, right? You guys realize that, right? You don't get the future. Okay, you think you do, but you're wrong. You don't know that. You, you, you think you're going to walk into the future, but it's not guaranteed. And some of you are dwelling in the past, and you shouldn't go there either. Stay away from there. Here's what we got. We got a pulse, okay, right now. And with that pulse comes a great purpose. And when you redeem pulse after pulse, day after day, and do those things and live with intentionality and purpose in the things that God has given to you, then your life becomes beautiful and redeemed. And the only way to do that is by focusing on Jesus Christ day in and day out. And so read with me verse 5. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Ah, this couple, look at verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. Anybody else have a different translation besides well advanced in years? Old. Does anybody say old geezers? Anybody have that version? Okay, I just need you to get that picture in your mind. These guys are old, man. They're old. I was going to name some names right here, but I'm not going to. These guys, oh. And the, faithful, though. So faithful. So faithful to walk with God, even though things hadn't gone their way, even though things hadn't been as they wanted. And I would just say to you and say to me, things haven't always gone my way either or the way I wanted. Yet my desire is to continue to be faithful, to continue to follow after the Lord wholeheartedly. That's what they did. Look at verse 8. It says, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now he goes into the temple, and it's his turn to actually go all the way in and drop the incense upon the altar and to say the prayers and to see that incense go up. By the way, most of our evangelical Christians today don't realize that the lighting of incense during times of prayer is actually biblical. And as those incense scents go up to God, so too it's indicative of our prayers that they also go up to God, that they also receive our attention as God hears our prayers. I don't know about you. Have you ever felt like your prayers aren't working? Anybody felt like you prayed for something and just kept hitting the ceiling? Like, maybe it's broken. Maybe, maybe I should try it louder. You ever been to that church before? Just pray louder, you know? We need to all, all chime in and repeat after me. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, whether loud, quiet, silent, in your mind, your prayers go to God, okay? Your prayers reach his ears. They're, they're saved. We'll talk about that in a few. They actually go up to him. 
And I would just say this, I'll say it again in a little bit after I pray, that if you aren't praying right now, because it didn't work, okay? Because it was hard. Because what's the point? You believed all those lies. You need to repent with me and pray and know that that incense, just like, have you ever lit incense in your house and not smelled it? No, no. Your neighbors call you, you all right over there? You know? (laughs) What else is going on? You know? (laughs) How come you didn't invite me over? You know? I know where you live. Incense, it's obvious. Yeah, it changes everything. So too your prayers. They do. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Well, he goes in at this hour of incense to pray. And it says, verse 10, that the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense as well. Oh, verse 11. Then, I've got it circled, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Stop right there and just get the picture in your mind. Old man Zechariah, old geezer Zach, goes into the temple to pray, and he drops the incense on the altar that's hot and burning, and the smoke rises up, and he, with great fervor, prays for the nation of Israel, for the provision and forgiveness and for the guidance from God. He prays for his own life, possibly for his wife and for his barrenness. We're not sure. Evidently, those prayers had gone up at one point, and he says in Yahweh's name, amen, and he opens up his eyes. And he sees an angel, not just any angel. There are dozens and hundreds of references to angels throughout the scriptures. They're real. If you don't believe in them, you're wrong. That's fine. You need to change your opinion. They're real. And all of a sudden, he doesn't see just an angel. He sees Gabriel. Only two angels of the hundreds mentioned in the scriptures are mentioned by name. Only two. This is one of them. It's a big day for Zach. And he opens up in Yahweh's name. And the Bible says, next verse, verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now the angel sees this perplexed look on his face like, come again? Like, you're talking the wrong guy here. Like, maybe, no. And he has this perplexed, fearful look, and so the angel fills in the gaps a little bit, and he says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, let's just be honest. Whenever a baby is announced, I'm pregnant, you know, the people post their little pictures on Facebook of the sonograms, and you know, and all the rest, and there is great joy. But at this age, this guy's like, for real? Like, dude, I'm good. <laughs> like, you know, where you been, Gabriel? Like, this prayer was ancient of days, like my wife, you know. And don't, isn't it funny that Gabriel, Gabriel's always late to the party. Gabriel also answered a prayer of Daniel back in Daniel 11. Daniel was praying for understanding, and Gabriel shows up. He's like, first word, sorry, I'm late, bro. I was over there fighting the prince of Persia. My bad. I killed him, and I'm here now to give you the answer to your prayers. And Gabriel shows up, and I just wonder in his own manliness, if there wasn't joy right away. And I wonder if he maybe even second-guessed God's plan for his own life. And I can guarantee you there are people here today that when you hear God's words for you, out of his word, his declaration, you, you resist. You're like, I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. I don't know. That, that's not great joy. Yeah, this, your timing's off, angel. Okay, just a, just a wee bit, a few decades. Your plan is messed up. Like, this is not going to be good for anybody. Trust me. 
And you're here today, and I guarantee you, you're also wrestling with those same thoughts that you have rejected in one way or another. God's timing, okay? Have you noticed God's timing is different than yours? Like it's not synced, like what is happening here? And not only is your timing way different than God's, so too your ways are way different than God's. And I guarantee you there's not one person sitting here today that things have gone exactly according to what you thought they would do and when they would happen. Nobody here. We're all like Zacharias here with an opportunity to either reject what God has said he's doing or to rejoice in it. Well, here we see that Zacharias struggles. And so the words keep flowing from this angel. In verse 15, he continues to tell him what God's plan is. He says, for he, that is J the B, John the baptizer, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. These words would have begun to heal Zechariah's heart. Verse 16, the ministry of John the baptizer, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him, that is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now right here, Zacharias should have obeyed the number one rule for all husbands. Okay? Number one rules for all husbands is just shut up. Okay? So this is the first rule. You just shut up, you nod as if you understand. Okay? So number one rule. You just in, in, in understanding will come later. Okay, trust me, guys. Just trust me. But when you just got it. Just instead, here's what he says, verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is no spring chicken either. It's literally, it says my wife is advanced in years. Just, <laughs> it's all poetic and nice, and you read it real fast, and you don't even see this dialogue happening here. But he questions the angels. I mean, the angel, like trumpets and glory, and this is what's going to happen. And right away, Zacharias, and all of his faithfulness leading up till this point, finds a moment of faithlessness. He's like, well, I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> what, what, part of, what, what part of an angel telling you what's going to happen don't you understand? You know, what part, this is a big day for, for Zechariah, isn't it? Like he's old, things haven't gone well for him. He finally got his lot drawn. He goes in, he says the prayer. All of a sudden he wakes up and there's an angel there telling him great things. Like, let's just review for a second, Zechariah, as I drop this good news on you. And yet Zechariah makes a critical mistake that you all make and that I make as well. He took what God declares plainly and he contrasts it and compares it to our circumstantial situations in reality. And he took what God said to be true. Oh, and yet we look at our spouses, ourselves, our situations, say, oh, and we have a decision to make. What are we going to walk into? What are we going to lean on? What are we going to trust? The word of God or the situations of our circumstances? It's such a huge lesson. We'll talk about that as we get to it, as we continue in the study, verse 19. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel. You're an old man? Well, guess what? I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the very presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. For behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day of these things takes place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
and he's muted at that very moment. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out and could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Man, he must not have had a lot on his mind because he wasn't talking very much at that point, just being very quiet to work with. And it says, after those days, in verse 24, Elizabeth conceived, and she did hide herself five months, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away the reproach among people. Father, in Jesus' name, now as we've read your word and we've looked to this story, this dialogue, this record of the gospel, of the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed from an angel of heaven. God, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd soften our hearts, Lord, to the simplicity of the message as well. And not just this message, but the message of the scriptures that we have hid in our own hearts. And for every man and every woman and every little boy and little girl that's here right now, I pray your mercy upon us as we listen, Lord, to your word being instructed in our lives. May we be those who respond well. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, I am so thankful for this gospel in particular because Luke, Luke is a genius. He's a scholar. He's a historian. He's a missionary. He's a lover. He's one who wants the whole world to know well what God had done in his days. And to us, it's what we call history, right? You guys have heard it before that history, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, is more like his story, okay? History, all of it counts to point our attention and our direction up towards Jesus Christ. And I remember when I was in first, second, and third grade, I was in public school, and I didn't learn much. No, I'm just kidding. I learned a bunch. But I remember when I got into fourth and fifth grade and sixth grade as a homeschooled kid, and we began to learn history. But I remember when my parents told me that history was about people that were dead and were no longer alive right now. And I became offended. I thought, why would I want to spend my time learning about dead people that aren't even here right now? And I rejected history altogether, not realizing that if you don't learn from history, you're bound to. And that's not the only reason we learn about history, so we don't repeat it. But isn't history fascinating? Absolutely fascinating. We're here in our time, but thousands of years ago, people, men and women, lived in the same globe and on the same earth, dealing with the same issues that you and I deal with, and God, there too, was involved in their lives. And so this history is the one that we need to pay attention to more than anything else, because right here, the gospel is birthed. Those who dwelt in darkness have received the marvelous light. Isaiah chapter 9 tells us when Jesus came on the scene. And Luke details historically how this all came about. Man, it's the good news. I love how the angel says that you have not believed these glad tidings. The good news. We don't always like the way good news is wrapped, do we? As a matter of fact, sometimes we don't see things in our life at all as being good. We would, sum things, we would sum up some things as to being bad. And I got to just say that God knows exactly what he's doing in your life and in my life. How many of you, though, have found out that God's timeline is very different than your own? How many of you have found out that God didn't obey your wish list? You know, like, hey, God, I just got these ideas, and they're going to be so awesome. And, like, you just, got, did, you, did, it, did you not get this? And God's time and God's plans are often different than yours. I have found that to be true. And I'll tell you what, 
you, you might even say, hey, let's, let's, just, let's go see how this thing works in my life, and yet it doesn't work out the way you want it to go at all because God's timing is different. You, you might say, I thought things would have happened differently. I remember when I got married at age 23 and then and 24 and 25 and 26, and I would examine my life at that time and think, I should be doing different things, and I should have this, and this should, the timing's not right, and I'm 38 years old now. And all I got to say is, is God knows exactly what he's doing. I just wish I would just trust him more day by day. The timing, God knows. This is so fun to watch. He knows what he's doing. Zacharias could have said, you're a little late, bro. Like, this would have been so legit, like, 50 years ago. Yet Zacharias wasn't being asked his opinion. The angel was doing what God had sent the angel to do. Not only is God's timing different, but his ways are different. You might look at your life right now and say, I, I thought I would have done things very differently than this. I don't know if I would have chose it this way if I could choose again. And you, by way of worship today, today, you can submit to God and say, you know what? Your ways are different and your timing's different. And I'm going to repent of my high control over my own life of my own agendas and my own thoughts. I'm going to choose to worship you in the midst of maybe like Zacharias and Elizabeth in my barrenness spiritually or maybe even parentally or, or ministerially. It just hasn't gone your way. And yet in ways of worship, you can say, I choose to trust the Lord. As a matter of fact, sometimes when things go wrong in our lives or in other people's lives, we tend to go on some sort of spiritual introspective witch hunt, find out what's going on. As a matter of fact, in that day, to be barren and to be in the ministry and to be faithful in that way, yet to come out barren, it was culturally accepted to look at a couple like that and say, well, obviously you've offended God somewhere. Obviously you have secret sins. Something's wrong with you. You've blown it. Otherwise things wouldn't go this way. And don't raise your hand. But have you ever had that kind of stinking thinking about your own life? Maybe you get fired or something bad happens or things just never go well and you just can't help but examine yourself and say, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm just offensive to God, maybe, or maybe even worse. Don't do this. But maybe you'll look at other people's lives and, and their situation, their barrenness, and say, well, evidently and obviously, based on what I can tell, they're blowing it. They're on the outside looking in. God's mad at them. You don't know what God's doing. Not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. And you can rejoice in this because God works in mysterious ways. God does things crazily in order that he would continue to be God and we would not. Okay, it's just that simple. It reminds me of a story I just heard recently of an event that happened a long time ago about a man who was a pastor preaching against the lottery. Okay, the lottery was getting real big in his era. It was on the East Coast, and he's preaching all series against this and trusting in the Lord. And unbeknownst to him, his wife went to the Quickie Mart and bought a lottery ticket. And when she bought this lottery ticket, he's preaching this whole sermon, true story, is she bought this lottery ticket and she won $2.4 million. And here she is with these winnings and just wonder, what do I do, my husband and this? And, and so she eventually went to tell him about it. And as she told him and they were interviewed later, the interviewer asked the man, like, how did you respond and what's going on in your mind with this series and all this? And he just said, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> You know, the Lord, God does what God does, and, and while this may be my thoughts and this may be that truth, I am going to just have to submit to and trust the Lord. The temptation is, is to find out who did something wrong or to wonder 
uh, what is going on. But oftentimes, in God's timing and God's plans, he has something he's working deeper and for his glory, and really not with any participation or help or understanding of our own. And that's where worship comes in. That's really where you get a chance as a man or woman here today. Instead of trying to find a scapegoat or to find somebody to get mad at or to take down, to say, you know what, Lord, I wonder what you're doing. I wonder what this, I wonder what, I, I trust that you are doing something. I tr- and when you become in that situation a worshiper instead of a fretter, a worshiper instead of a complainer, when you, instead of becoming bitter, become better, you've taken your situation, which is out of your control anyways, the future's out of your control, <laughs> just letting you know, but when you choose to respond in any situation with worship and trust, it reminds me of Job, okay, I love Job. Job chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Job lost everything in one day. It was the worst day of his life. And Job, through worship, said, you know what? When you gave me everything, kids and and business and homes and cattle, the Lord gives. And that's his form of worship. Then he went on to say, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He chose to say, I'm just going to trust God. God is still good regardless of my situation. And God said of Job that he was righteous and blameless. That everything Job did was right. It wasn't, didn't mean he was sin-free. But his attitude of gratitude, even in the midst of stuff. I remember I was getting lunch uh, in Ashland at Big Town Hero. And I was uh, talking to the guy, and he knew I was a pastor there. And he said, you know what? I don't like God at all. And I was like, really? Well, he likes you, so that's a good spot to start. You know, Why don't you like God? He's like, because of what he did to Job. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that's tough stuff right there. I said, but what did you think, you know, when you got to the last chapter? When you got to the end, what did you think then? He's like, well, I never got to the last chapter. I was like, you can't, you know, you can't get to the last chapter. You can't reject God based on chapter one. And yet how many of us are in chapter one right now? Things aren't good. Things are messed up. Things are difficult. Things are, are dark. I don't see what's happening. I dare you. I I challenge you. I exhort you. I encourage you. I I ask you to make an altar of incense and intercession to the Lord today. And in your barrenness or in your singleness or in your difficult marriage or in your failing health or in your bankruptcy or in your chronic pain or in your loneliness or depression or guilt or shame, in your bondage, whatever it is to say, Lord, I don't like this, but I do love you. And I choose to honor you and trust you that your timing is not mine and you're good. And that your plans and ways, they're not mine, but they are good because you are good. And when you make that altar of incense like Zacharias made today, it could just be that the Lord working in mysterious ways is about to change something in your life, about to do something new, something radical. I don't know. Zacharias had been faithful his whole life, and I guarantee you this wasn't the first time he'd wanted a news from an angel like this. And it came at the time of prayer. It came at the time of darkness, difficulty. Herod was on the scene. There had been 400 years of silence and difficulty. Rome was occupying the land and would ultimately destroy it. Not just the stuff outside, but the barrenness and loneliness of Zacharias' own soul and Elizabeth as well. A time of poverty and disappointment. It was then that this began to transpire and change. When? Verse 11 tells us at the time of prayer. 
at the time of prayer, the time of intercession. And I would ask you this question, first question, do you pray? The Bible gives us lots of instruction to pray, lots of records of praying. Praying is the real deal. All kinds of prayers, of prayers of intercession and adoration, supplication, all kinds of ways to pray. The question is to pray. Here's the problem with our culture, is that we have confused prayer, that is communicating with God clearly what we need and want and how we feel, we have confused that with the reality that God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and we think about what we want all the time. Do you guys think about what you want all the time? You know, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. You know, it's like, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need. That's what we, you know, our culture, like, <laughs> pumps that out. And we have probably, most of us, confused that with God reads my mind. He knows everything. Okay, it's kind of scary, but awesome. He knows everything. He knows what I want. So what, what's the difference? The difference is that he's asked us to make our intercession and supplications known to him with thanksgiving and joyfulness of heart, and then he grants to us his answers in one way or another, primarily and specifically with peace in our hearts. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, I'm going to bless you if you pray. He said, well, you're going to give me what I want? He says, depends. Depends on if what you want is what I want. But for sure, one thing I will do is I'll bless you with peace. Do you know this about prayer? Let me ask a different question. Have you prayed and it didn't work? Like your prayer's broken? Like I prayed and it just didn't work. Okay, you're wrong in your understanding. Your prayer did work. Okay, it just didn't work the way you wanted it to. Prayer is not broken. It works. And God gives one of three answers every single time. Yes, no, and not yet. One, one of those three answers will be from him to you. Yes, here it is. And I've prayed before one time and seen things change. Have you had this happen in your life? One time and there's healing. One time and there's, there's connection. One time and there's deliverance. One time and there's provision. Okay? Not often, but I've done that. There's other times, though, where I've prayed once and twice and thrice and thrice, whatever's after that, more. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. The Bible gives us a picture in the book of Revelation of a bowl in heaven that is the prayers of the saints. And when those prayers get to the top, to the tipping point, that the power of God is poured out upon the lands, Revelation chapter 8. The idea there, I think, is important that we would understand that all of our prayers are put into some sort of a bowl in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our prayers are reserved in heaven, that God takes them and counts them, keeps them and hears them. And I wonder if there are some things that you've been praying for even right now that your bowl's almost full. You don't know. I don't know. Zacharias didn't know. And yet he got right to that point where this particular prayer was the proper timing and the top, proper plan of God, and the bowl tipped over, and things began to change amazingly. Now, let me just say this, because this is very important. I need you to track with me here. Prayer changes one of two things every time. There's three answers for prayer, yes, no, and not yet. But prayer changes and works and does effect one of two things every single time, okay? The first is what we always want it to affect, and that is our actual circumstance. Lord, let this happen. Change this. Give that. Deliver that. Remove this. Supply this. It's an actual thing, and that's what we want to see happen, and occasionally that does happen. But if that does not happen, another thing does happen for sure. That is your heart is ministered to. That is your countenance is changed. 
That is your peace. Even while Job prayed, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's a form of worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there with tears of sorrow and also tears of gratitude, Job was able to have the situation not change, not right away, but his heart was protected. Do you pray? Do you spend time praying for those things that matter in your life? Or have you given up because nothing changes? I'm going to say this as generically as possible just because it's important. I was speaking with a friend recently. Real issues, deep pain. And when I offered to pray, I said, I'm going to pray about that. You could see the countenance of this person. Wasn't excited because this particular thing had been there a long time. Many people had prayed. You could see there was a, 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 a barrenness, if you would, to the effectivity of prayer. Oh, okay. Because this person had lost hope that this could actually be healed and removed and dealt with and, and fixed. And whether or not that is healed and removed and dealt with and fixed, I don't have control over. But to pray for something and someone, I can guarantee you this, though. The peace that passes understanding through prayer can be granted to a person in the midst of their problem, barrenness, and situation. And if you're afraid to pray for your situation because it might not be fixed, repent and say, I'm going to pray for my situation to be fixed because in praying for my situation to be fixed, even if it's not, I'll be fixed. I'll be made new. Paul prayed three times for himself. Lord, take away this affliction. Lord, take away this affliction. Lord, would you take away this affliction? And three times the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for your needs. I will give you the grace to endure this situation. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to change you. Prayer works every single time. And when I have fretted over a situation, and I don't feel that God's going to do that in this situation the way I want him to, so in bitterness, I'm not going to bring it to him. (laughs) He knows what I want. not giving it to me. I'm going to go to Starbucks. (laughs) I'll do what I want. Did I just say all all that out loud? Sorry. Or, or, you can come to the Lord's presence. Say, God, this is blessing. This is, this is blessing me. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. This, this, Lord, this Lord is on my heart. This is weighing me down, and I want to bring it to you in hopes, Lord, that you would address it in your time and in your way for your glory. And in the meantime, Lord, would you change me radically? Just make me different. I will bear this thorn of affliction. As a matter of fact, Jesus went on to tell Paul, who wanted deliverance, he said, this is actually given to you. Check this out. I'm going to bless you. My grace is sufficient for your needs. This is actually given to you to keep you humble so I might use you greater. This burden, and I want all my burdens gone. Hello? Is that, you know, selfish? I want them all gone. God says, what? You're a total weirdo. These burdens are made, they're given to you in order to keep you real, to keep you in touch do you pray and if you don't pray is it because you've been disappointed because your prayers weren't answered the way you wanted them to be answered i would say repent with me this morning and keep praying keep asking for god to change the situations around you and for sure to change you during those times of prayers your prayers are being stored up i wonder how many more prayers there are needed before things get different in your life did you know the bible says that your tears are also stored up 
that when you cry, when you're in sorrow, God holds those tears. Psalm 56, he holds those. The Bible says that your words are also stored up. Every time you speak about God, every time you hope in him, every time you share about him and talk to him, those words are stored up. Malachi chapter 3. You know the Bible says that when you die, your spirit will be gathered up into heaven. Your spirit, your tears, your prayers, your words. This helps me prioritize what's important in my own life, okay? Cars and condos and clothes and all the stuff we think are so important, it's not going to heaven, just so you guys know. It's not. But your heart, your tears, your words, your soul, oh, may the Lord give us priority even during this Christmas season of what is important and what is not important. This helps me stay focused on him. That is prayer. Prayer. Look at verse 11. It says, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, be not afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You know, this is so interesting because you guys know John means God is gracious. And in those days, they would only name people in their family names that they had shared throughout their family. And so as the story progresses, we'll see that when they name him John, the relatives object. They say, you can't name him John. Nobody in your family's named John. And so at that time, Zacharias here, who's mute at this point for nine whole months, he can't say a word. This is the best pregnancy experience a woman could want. Her husband's just, you know, nodding, mm-hmm. you know, we good, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, he can't speak at all, and when Elizabeth says, his name's John, everyone objects, and Zacharias marches in, and he grabs an iPad, it's actually a tablet, that's what it says, and he grabs a tablet, and he writes on there, his name is John, and shows it to him, because that's what the angel had told him, that at that moment, his lips are unloosed, and he can speak. Why is John so important? God means God is gracious. Do you you understand something? This whole plan of God for Zacharias and Elizabeth is more important than Zacharias and Elizabeth. This whole plan that God is doing, God's whole plan in humanity right now is more important than your plan and your timing as well. This will also make you a worshiper when you realize that God's grace is being metered out through people like you and me to the needy world and has nothing to do with you. It has to do with God. He's looking for a few good men and women to display his handiwork and his kindness and his message. Why? We should name him John for about three or four different reasons. And the angel's like, his name's John because that means God is gracious and that's the message. Do you understand that? That's the message. And God wants to display and dispense that same message through your life and through my life. Well, I don't like how this is happening, God. I don't really approve of this. And God says, hey, trust me. The message of my grace will be seen in your life if you allow me to take you through the valley of the shadow of death where you shall fear no evil, where even in the presence of your enemies I will prepare for you a feast and I will anoint you with oil and I shall be with you all the days of your life. And we're like, "Uh, can we just go to Disneyland instead? How about we go through the valley of Disneyland and you show your goodness in that way? And God says, that's why you're not on the committee. That's why you don't get to vote. God does things differently. As a matter of fact, look at verse 14. It says here, and you shall have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And I, we all understand when a baby is announced, everyone's full of joy. And, and this angel maybe is trying to talk Zacharias into his plan and his timing. Dude, you're going to be so full of joy. And maybe there's something in Zacharias' heart. He's like, yeah, I would have been 50 years ago. Like, this is actually a really big burden. I'm an old man. This isn't cool. This is... <sighs> but when you submit to God's plan, 
When you step off of the VIP throne of your own life, when you're not the CFO or the CEO or the BIG or in charge, when you just say, Lord, your, your will be done, I guarantee you, even today, when you stop calling the shots for your own life and say, Lord, you just tell me what you want to do, that God will also include in your plan, this is going to make you very joyful, and it's going to bring others great gladness. That's the whole plan. Look at verse 15. This will be the final verse we have for today, and we'll study the rest next time we're here on a Sunday. It says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Stop right there, eyes up here. The Bible says that he's going to be great. This is crazy. Zacharias and Elizabeth were nobodies, okay, doing nothing for no one at that time in their olden days. That's not how God saw it, though. God says, your son, he's going to be great. He's going to be the best. As a matter of fact, fast forward to Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus was alive. Jesus would say of John the Baptist, there is no greater prophet born among women besides J the B. John the Baptizer is the greatest. Now, if you just take that and run it through your grid real quick, what did John the Baptist ever do? Did, did he make bread out of rocks? Did he walk on water? Did he heal anybody? John the Baptizer performed no miracles ever. Yet Jesus said he's the greatest. And this angel said he's going to be great. You're here today. Most of you probably are not miracle workers. Okay, just If, I, if you were, I, I might know it. You're not walking in the miraculous and the powerful and even the prophetic. Yet John the baptizer goes down in history as being the greatest. What did he do? The same thing you and I can do. He made a way for other people to get near to Jesus. He made a way for others to know the truth. He was a way paver. He made, he made the way straight. He made a platform for Christ to be famous. And God said, whoa. Now, this is in the time of Herod the Great. Herod would go down in history as Herod the Great, building all kinds of stuff. The world has a different set of systems that weighs greatness. Don't be deceived. You might think, well, I own a home here and a home there, and I travel this, and I've got this going. I'm, you know, I've got some great... That's great, but that doesn't equal greatness in God's eyes. Well, I haven't done this, and all I've ever done is bring people to Jesus, and I raised a couple people that love Jesus, and I've never really done anything... That is greatness. When you make a way for your kids or for your family to know who Jesus Christ is, don't be deceived by what the world says is great and what God says is great. Don't be confused. Also, notice here that it says that he shall have no strong drink or wine. Okay, This isn't going to be his privilege. It's not going to be his um, future to have alcohol. And We've studied alcohol in the book of Ephesians a few months ago. You can download the teaching there from Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to check that out. Here's the deal, though. By God saying to John the Baptist, this isn't going to be for you to have in your life because I want you to fully focus on what I've asked you to be. I want you to fully give your life over, not be distracted in any way. Let me just summarize quickly the rules on drinking. Okay, number one biblical rule on drinking, don't get drunk. Okay, the Bible doesn't say don't drink. It does say don't get drunk, though. So if you want to have the freedom that is given to you through the scriptures to drink, that's fine. But be careful because drunkenness is not only a sin, but it's stupid, okay? It'll take you places, and we've seen you on the headlines, and it's, you know we, we all know where that takes us. Number two rule, don't cause anyone else to stumble if you're going to drink. Okay, if you have the freedom in Christ to have a, a beverage with a meal, but somebody else doesn't have that same conviction or countenance, Okay, the Bible says you set it down. You, you forego your freedom. You don't, you don't get to. That's fine. You don't, you don't drink for their sake. And the third rule that we summarize from the scriptures about alcohol is don't break the laws of the land if you're going to drink. You've got to obey the land and what they have prescribed as is right. Now, here's the deal, though. 
While the Bible teaches freedom to drink, some of us here should set down our freedom, okay, for a lot of reasons. Number one, for destructive reasons. Okay, if your freedom in Christ is to drink, but it has been a destruction in your life or a proclivity to sin in the people around you, you need to set that down. Okay, just give it up. It's not worth it. Just stay away from it. Or possibly it's for a call on your life to do something different or something greater than what you could do with that freedom in tote. And the last thing, or two more things I would say is this. Notice verse 15. It says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Man. I really am thinking about this lately, this idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit, this idea of our connection to the power source to be the men and women we're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit today or not seeking to be filled tomorrow or not trying to walk in tandem with the Spirit in the future, you're not going to have the energy or the stamina or the clarity or the purpose of mind to keep going. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a gift that God gives to you. He fills and he gives refills and he abundantly supplies all of your needs. And I would say that this is something you need to even today ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. I recently had somebody give me some special anointing oil that they had made. Here's a gift for you. And, and they asked me, do, do you believe in anointing with oil? And I said, yes. And I read the book. It's in there. You know, I believe. And I said, not only do I anoint people with oil for healing and for anointings, but I anoint myself with oil. I just, man, I just, Holy Spirit, I'll take all of you that there is in order to be all of me that you've called me to be. And I would say that that is indeed a word for somebody here today. And the last thing I would say, and I hate to end on this, but I also love to end on this. I need you to really focus. It says that all of this would happen, that he would have his name given, that he would have an anointing and a call and a purpose and filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, from his mama's belly, before conception, before life even begins on the inside, God said, I see his life to the end. I know him before. The Bible teaches in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God knits us together and weaves us into our being in our mama's belly. That's how he sees it. The Bible teaches that before we're born and are conceived, that even then we are alive, that we are a human being. And I would say that because in our culture today, our political culture, and this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. In our culture today, there is a belief system that is unbiblical that says that life begins after birth, not at the point of conception. And I would say the only way to come to that conclusion is to shut your book and not look at it. When you look into the Bible for your view and your stance on life, and see it from God's point of view. Okay, you cannot stand on the side of justification of abortion. You just can't do it. You cannot, you, you, you can't look at a life from the Bible's point of view and not consider it just as God has said, fearful and wonderful and amazing. And if your stance is pro-abortion, then it's because you have not looked into God's heart on the issue. And I would say this, abortion is a sin against God, and while it can be forgiven, it ought not to be committed. And because there are people here, and we know folks, I, I know folks, our culture has really promoted this, I need to say this, if you have had an abortion, you're forgiven, absolutely forgiven. 
cleansed, restored, redeemed. And when you die, and when you go to heaven, you will meet Jesus, and he will be there, arms wide, big hugs, lots of love, and you'll meet your babies, and they'll be right there with you. And there will be grace, and there will be forgiveness, and there will be healing, because that is how big our God is. Our God loves everyone and forgives everything because Jesus Christ died the death that we should have died. And he paid for our sins in totality. And yet the truth still needs to be declared that life begins at conception. And in God's mind, it begins even before that. God is the author and the finisher of our lives. He knows it all, and we look to his word, and we submit to him in all things, and I preach God's grace to you and God's truth at the exact same time. I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads and close your eyes as we come to the altar of communion, and the worship team comes up and leads us in a closing song. Father, we are students here. We really aren't the teacher. We are students. That is, we're here to learn of you and from you, myself included. And we are here, Lord, to submit to you. We are worshipers. We're not the worshipped. We're not here to be praised and exalted and put on a pedestal. But instead, Lord, we're here to create a pedestal of praise and worship for you and to esteem you and to lift you up. And you said if we lift you up, you would draw sinners and everyone to yourself and you would forgive freely and you would redeem wholly and you would live with us abundantly. And I pray, Jesus, that we would Find that to be true this morning in Jesus' name by your Holy Spirit's power. Even right now, Lord, may your Holy Spirit reside upon every heart of the women, on every heart of the men here right now in Jesus' name. As we've studied your word, as we've declared your truth, Lord, and as we've come into your presence and are about to take communion now, I pray, Jesus, that you would be here in a way, Lord, that would change lives forever. That, Lord, those who are disappointed now, things haven't gone their way, the timing's been off, the mistakes have been made, whatever the case is, Lord, in Jesus' name, you would restore hearts, souls, and minds. And as we even come to the table, we would see our Savior crucified for our sins, buried and raised victoriously over sin and death. And in Jesus' name, we would rejoice. I pray for healing in our hearts today. But I don't mean to speak or to walk or to pretend to know everyone here that what they've been through or what they're going through but I would declare you do you know everything you know everything and this angel showed up to Zacharias with boldness and just declared the truth said, here's how it's going to go here's what's going down we heard your prayers we know what we're doing Zacharias had an opportunity to believe and he didn't and he was muted for it and I pray Lord we wouldn't make that same mistake we wouldn't be rebellious or sinful or, or, or weak or carnal, but instead we'd say, you're God. That's, that's enough. You're God. I worship you. I follow you. I choose you. I look to you. And I pray in Jesus' name you'd be honored in that. And then, Lord, you would honor our lives as you see fit. And if you're here this morning and you just want to honor God in your, in your thinking, you want to honor God in your life, you want to honor God in your repentance, Right now, just start raising your hand. Right? If you want to honor God, and you don't want to be a, a, a complainer, you don't want to have it your way, you want God to be God, and you want to worship him by even just raising your hand, saying, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but thy will be done. Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now if you want to repent of the way you thought things should have gone, but you just say, Lord, it's you. 
You're good. Lord, I trust you. Raise your hand. Raise both of them right now to worship your king and say, God, you be God. And if you need help, raise your hand right now if your heart is hard and you don't want to worship him, but you want your heart to be softened. Raise your hand if you're having a difficult time with your savior. Even right now, you feel like you're on the outside looking in and you feel like you're barren. Raise your hand right now. Just submit to him. Say, I need help, Jesus. Put your hand up high if you need the savior to touch you during this time of worship. Raise your hand high. Father, as we come to the table and celebrate your son, may you move around us and do in us what only you can do for us. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.